Hello, welcome to Why Not Me. In life, we face many trials and obstacles, many challenges, and in the thick of it, we can be tempted to think, why me? But every obstacle presents an opportunity and every trial can bring triumph. So I want to encourage you to adapt a mindset of, why not me? When, when in the middle of it, when things are tough, look around and think, why not me? It's, it's happening for a purpose. And then when success is at your doorstep and all you have to do is open it, you may find yourself hesitating, questioning, is this for me? Do I deserve this? And I wanna encourage you to adapt a mindset of why not me? Throw the door open wide, shout to the world, why not me? Embrace your success. I'm your coach, Todd Halls. I'm grateful to have you on this journey. Welcome to Why Not Me. Well, hello, hello. Welcome to Why Not Me, turning trials into triumphs, seeking and embracing success. I'm your host, Coach Todd Halls. Super excited for our guest today. Uh, he's a, f- a friend of mine, uh, a neighbor, fellow husband, fellow father, and fellow uh, believer in Jesus. Uh, Tim Boyette joins us. He is a he's a doctor, and his he's got a passion for uh, functional medicine. So just can't wait to to have him share with you. So with that, uh, what did I miss in the introduction, Tim? What would you like the listeners to know? Man, uh, I think you had a great introduction, and I'm pleased to be here and honored to be here with uh, with uh, a friend, Todd, and um, uh, thankful to be able to talk about um, uh, functional medicine and the uh, opportunities it can provide for for health. Um, so that's you pretty much nailed it. Definitely. Cool. So uh, so this whole this whole functional medicine medicine piece from from my standpoint, um, I, I've, I've I've developed this this coaching framework, the, the the whole leader framework I call it, and it deals with you know uh, six components for for a, a person or a leader's life: the their purpose, um, the faith component, their family component, the health component, their career component, and then just the habits. How that all comes together to to help them be everything you know the, the leader that that they've been called to be so so it's perfect that you're here maybe we can dive into the the health um component of that what what is functional medicine for for those that might not know mm-hmm. so functional medicine is essentially a uh a broad term that um encompasses nutrition lifestyle decisions rest and recovery uh component um including um, you know, discussions of the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. So trying to, to get a patient back to giving and empowering them to give their bodies what they need to best function. And so uh, things that that would include would be better food, um, uh, better thoughts, which because our thoughts actually lead into our actions. So you know that many people who have mood disorders and who have stress issues and anxiety issues, they oftentimes are caught in a, 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 a manner or a, 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 um, a pattern of thinking that causes them to spiral and spirals typically downward. And breaking that spiral oftentimes is is uh, um, it's important to change the way that they're thinking. And so our thoughts truly do dictate a lot of our uh, our, our physical uh, health with respect to. Uh, things like mood disorders and stress, um, but also exercise. So, so getting people to 
get out and get their bodies moving, which creates, uh, you know, allows the blood to be pumping um, and, and oftentimes can get people out of their funk, but also improve their their longevity and their um, their ability to withstand the potential, um, uh, you know, things that they may not be taken care of. And so uh, we know that exercise now is very good at, at um, improving insulin resistance, which is as kind of running rampant now in this country. Uh, so, um, and then, so also then focusing on stress and rest, uh, stress reduction and rest techniques, making sure people get enough sleep. And so a lot of people, especially with what's been going on over this past year with COVID in 2020, um, uh, there's talk in the media that many people are not sleeping as well as they were a year ago. And even a year ago, Americans were found to be not sleeping very well. So getting good sleep and, and getting deep uh, deep sleep at night, a good eight to nine hours of sleep a night is so important for, for our rest, our recovery, and also our immune system functioning. And so functional medicine essentially encompasses kind of, uh, you know, decisions based in nutrition, lifestyle, rest and recovery, and, uh, and such. And so it, it can include, a, you know, a collaboration with, uh, you know, pharmaceutical medications, of course, if necessary, uh, nutraceuticals and or supplements, if necessary, vitamins and minerals, uh, as well as, you know, dietary protocols, uh, potentially hormone protocols that patients are lacking, um, and, and the like. So a little bit of all of that. As you were explaining that, thank you. Uh, I have a better understanding of, of kind of what it is. Um, mm -hmm. when I think of going to the doctor, I think of going for treatment I got the sense that I maybe would come to you for education. Is, is, how you does know, that land? No, absolutely. Um, I think that's a great uh, observation. And it's an observation that's, that's based in simply that a doctor is actually supposed to be a teacher. So the definition of doctor is teacher. And so physicians are, um, should be teaching patients you know, and have the opportunity to teach patients how to best empower themselves to have a more holistic and or vibrant life. And so, um, you know, I think that many physicians do uh, and, and, um, and are teaching patients more and more about nutrition, about lifestyle components of disease. And medical schools are actually becoming uh, more open to that type of education, which has been awesome to see over the past 20 years. There's more nutrition education from what I understand and more uh, thought process being put into lifestyle components of disease, which we know in the West, you know, lifestyle in our Western uh, world is um, a challenge because of stress, because of uh, workloads, because of family dynamics and economics. And of course, with this past year, with COVID and with the stress of the election, uh, um, all these things kind of tied together to create a global and uh, more specifically, you know, a national stress that that stress, you know, increases anxiety. And actually, we now we now know that stress that also can increase blood pressure through the stress hormones and even increase your predisposition for insulin resistance or diabetes. Because as you increase your stress hormones through stressful environments and stressful thought processes, your cortisol, which is one of your main stress hormones, goes up and chronic elevation in cortisol, that stress hormone actually can increase your blood sugar. So that's not just the one cause, obviously, of insulin resistance, but it's a multifactorial thing where if someone's eating 
a poor nutrient dent or nutrient poor diet and a calorie rich but nutrient dent uh, poor diet plus they're under a lot of stress plus they're not getting good sleep plus they're going through financial and or relationship issues they're set up for a metabolic in a sense disaster and we've found with covid that these patients who have metabolic dysfunction and, and insulin resistance they have poor immune systems and poor ability to fight off any virus and any bacteria. So that's kind of ties into, you know, a little bit of what's going on right now. So you talked about uh, stress, you talked about and, and anxiety mm -hmm. and the two go, they seem to go hand in hand. But what, like, like, is there a difference? Are they like, like, how would you, how would you separate those two? Hmm. It's a good question. Um, so I think we all go through stress to a certain extent. Um, obviously, we go through mental and emotional stress. Um, there's also uh, inflammatory stress. So if people are in environments where there's more, say, mold or toxins or allergens, actually they're under an inflammatory stress. And there's actually a stress related to, to blood sugar. So uh, what happens when people eat lots of processed food and lots of sugar they actually can go through what's called glycemic dysregulation, where their blood sugar goes up and down in waves, which results in mood swings, energy swings, energy highs and energy lows and crashes. And then like that, that hangry feeling, the hungry and angry feeling, that's, that right there is a component of glycemic dysregulation, which in and of itself is a stress on the body. And so there's all sorts of stresses that happen to the body and obviously to a person uh, throughout the day. Certainly anxiety that may be uh, related to stress or not related to stress in some pe people's cases um, is what I would see as more of a manifestation, like a physical and, and a mental manifestation of stress that's gone past the point of that person's resilience, um, whatever it would be. So does that kind of make sense? I think it's more of a manifestation would be my, my thought process. So let me see if I can fit this into my head. Mm -hmm. So, um, there's, there's all kinds of different stressors. And once, once we have enough of those different factors, it could be one major factor or, or, or maybe 20 different smaller factors, but we get to the point where we hit a tipping point and it becomes anxiety. Is that or not exactly? Um, I certainly think in some people that would be an accurate characterization. And then in some people, certainly there is a, a lower tipping point than others. And mm -hmm. some of that could be through a genetic predisposition, uh, an emotional or mental thing that that person is going through at that time, but also uh, potentially related to dietary issues and lifestyle issues at that point. So probably many people can relay that potentially during times of, of family stress, say, when maybe relationships are challenged and then someone's sleep pattern is off and or they're drinking too much alcohol or too much caffeine and not getting enough rest and recovery, they're going to be more apt to have an anxiety moment potentially than that person who is has more resilience at that time because they've been resting more, sleeping more, eating a more well-balanced diet, a, a nutrient-dense diet, you know, those things right there. And also then mindfulness, the ability to, to consider that our thoughts are oftentimes, uh, I won't say they're, that we're able to control them all, but we are able to, 
to some extent, we're responsible somewhat for our thoughts in the sense that we can have little thoughts that come in our head that we either decide to allow them to linger and we then feed them with more thoughts or we can dismiss them. And that's where sometimes prayer, meditation, mindfulness, being aware of your thoughts becomes important because obviously I, just like anybody else, can fall into anxiety if I let uh, my thoughts get away from myself. And sometimes, mm -hmm. and I certainly in the past have had some significant issues with anxiety uh, and, and through many years of learning for myself what I need to function at a high level and with as low anxiety as possible so I can function at a high level as a physician, that's been a learning process for me. And, and for me, it comes down to keeping my alcohol low, keeping uh, my sleep as high as possible, you know, eight to nine hours and really protecting that, uh, saying no to some things. So I've got, I have, of course, has to say yes to many things. And that focuses on, you know, my, my wife, my, my kids, my community, my job. Those are kind of the things I've got to focus on most but then I've also got to try and eat uh, a better diet. And so if that's a dietary change for me and a discipline towards exercise and, um, you know, recreation, enough recreation to give me uh, uh, rest and recovery and relaxation, that's all tied into it. And so it's really a holistic kind of approach of, hey, what is causing your anxiety, you know, and how can we you know, what are the 10 things we can do that, to decrease it? And, and so it's not just 10, of course, it could be five in one person or 50 in another, but sometimes mm -hmm. it's little baby steps here or there that make significant, uh, improvements in someone's clinical well-being if they are implemented in a disciplined manner. And so it's oftentimes very simple changes that are radical, that are, um, aggressively and uh i won't say radically but they're just they're followed through you know they're little simple changes you know lowering your sugar in your diet um eating a little bit more protein to make sure you're getting enough protein every day and enough fat in your diet enough good fats things like that that if you can you know hit them every day make sure you're getting that um you you can oftentimes uh you know be more physically and mentally well and able to uh um uh, get past that level of stress. Okay. Yeah. So as, as you, thank you, as you explained that a couple things, well, a bunch of things came to mind, but first it seems, so depending, you know, I, I asked for that comparison of stress and anxiety mm. and with enough stressors being the tipping point to, to, you know, to create anxiety. And then as you were explaining that, it occurred to me that oftentimes we get anxious over small things over, um, you know, having to get the, the, the kids to school on time, for instance, and, and everything, and there's a sense of anxiety or, you know, we're, we're you know, whatever it is, we've got a dentist appointment tomorrow and we get a little anxious about that. And, and so it's almost like these two stress and anxiety can kind of trade places. Mm. Anxiety, anxiety or being anxious can cause stress and enough stress is a tipping point to create mm. anxiety. Um, And then some people are, I mean, they go through anxiety, um, you know, episodes in their life. And of course, you've also got panic attacks and panic attacks. And some people can come on without any potential apparent inciting event. And it's just simply someone feeling like they are losing their mind and they are out of control. Oftentimes, these people can get an elevated heart rate. Um, they start breathing quickly and they have no idea as to why they feel like 
the world is spinning out of control. And there's many thoughts as to, you know, potentially what is causing this, potentially neurochemical disbalances, but also stress hormone and stress uh, um, uh, responses can potentially be related to this because we know that when epinephrine and, and, and norepinephrine are secreted by the adrenal glands, they increase our heart rate and potentially increase our blood pressure and they quicken our breathing, which then we actually, what happens is we breathe quicker without as big of a breath. And mm. so when you quicken your breathing, you actually can kind of make yourself more anxious. And so we know that obviously with public speaking, we're told, uh, you know, as we all are to kind of slow your breathing. And then what that does is that tricks the, the, the body into more of the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest and recovery component of the nervous system. Whereas when we're under stress, whether it's a, through a panic attack or through an anxiety attack or through just the inability to manage the overwhelming stress that we're under at that point, what happens is, is we go into sympathetic nervous system, which is that fight or flight where we're essentially ready to either fight the lion that's coming after us or the, whatever we feel we're up against or to flee and run. And so, and a lot of people over this past year are living in, you know, a constant state of that sympathetic nervous system, that fight or flight. They're never letting themselves come down from that chronic stress and because of that, they're going to be potentially more predisposed to issues, you know, like we're talking about, like anxiety and additionally your immune system. So your immune system, uh, you, you know, we, we need, of course, certain times where we're in that fight or flight um, and, and, and that's okay. But we need to allow ourselves to come back into that parasympathetic nervous system, that rest and recovery, which allows our body to uh, to rebuild whatever is broken down during times of stress. So you mentioned rest and recovery earlier and just a moment ago. And as you were talking about, um, you mentioned getting eight to nine hours of sleep a night, um, which sounds like an awful lot. Um, mm -hmm. I, I've, I set a goal, like if I, if I can get seven to eight, like – and, and I say, I throw the eight in there, admittedly, just to make myself feel better. If I'm lucky to get seven. Um, mm -hmm. So, and just, mm. and I, I've, you know, I've heard this from a, a lot of people in the past that I worked with, you know, at, at the, at the gym, mm -hmm. like, how do you possibly get eight hours of sleep? How do you know, where, where, how do you get nine hours of sleep? How do you sleep that long? So what can people do? Do you, do you have any tips or suggestions mm -hmm. that people can mm -hmm. start building that, um, building maybe the space first of all, right? And but then also the ability to just hmm. get quiet and sleep for nine hours mm -hmm. on a, a regular basis. And I'll first give this premise: you know, if there's any people out there with sleep issues, certainly ask your doctor about any clinical issues that could be going on that may be related to your sleep issues. You've got things like as obstructive sleep apnea. You've got some other, you know, chemical issues that could be going on or physical issues that may be related to, uh, uh, to a patient or a client that, uh, you know, physicians should be checking out just to make sure that's uh, not the cause of it. But as far as sleep hygiene goes, certainly, you know, that eight to nine hours can sometimes be challenging to get. Um, but um, in, in my experience and also just from, you know, learning from others, uh, having some degree of a schedule is very important because it allows your body to expect when 
it should be calming down for sleep. Mm -hmm. And so having some general uh, time that you end up going to sleep at night and having your within an hour or so of that time, trying to keep that as close as possible to allow you and your body to know that it's time to start relaxing an hour before that. <clears throat> and then obviously having a, a, a pretty close to consistent time of waking up. And obviously on the weekends, we may wake up later than we do during the week. Um, and uh, some people do that, some people don't, but I, I would say that having a general time that you wake up um, in, in the morning oftentimes helps because again, it kind of gives that body, your body something to kind of expect. Um, in my experience and, in, 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 uh, helping some others, uh, exercise is of course very important at allowing someone to sleep better. Uh, I find that exercising in the morning oftentimes is beneficial simply because you've got a, what happens with, with human beings, we have a cortisol, um, spike in the morning. And so particularly with men, their testosterone is higher in the morning. Your growth hormone spikes around two to three o'clock in the morning with deep sleep and your cortisol, men and women's cortisol increases in the morning to get ready for the day's activities. So you have three components, you know, growth hormone, testosterone, and cortisol are all kind of increasing and increased in the morning when we wake up. And so particularly with men. And so the, the point being is that if you exercise and get that kind of uh, whatever nervous tension or anxiety you've got for that day out in a pretty decent 30 or 45 minute workout, then all of a sudden you've got your day kind of beat um, already in the sense that you've already taken care of yourself. And now it's time to take care of whatever job or, or duty you've got for, for that day. And then what you find is oftentimes with exercise in the morning, when you're coming down from work or whatever your day-to-day -day activities are in the evening after you eat, um, you know, certainly consider uh, walking after eating is very beneficial for, for resting. Um, and then giving yourself a couple hours after eating dinner to kind of calm the body down to get it ready for sleeping is important. Um, but what you can think about is that if someone comes home after a long day at work, it's five or six o'clock at night. And then that person wants to work out hard and heavy at six or seven o'clock at night. All of a sudden, you're stressing the body at that time, which then in some people affects the way they sleep at night. So many people find that exercising early in the morning can oftentimes help their sleep at night. Uh, other things for, for sleep hygiene for the, for the room, of course, keeping it as, as cool and dark as possible oftentimes helps and has been found to help. I would say keep digital devices away from your head and oftentimes away from arm's reach, because as we all know that if you wake up at two o'clock in the morning and get stimulated to kind of wonder what's going on in the world or in social media, if you've got a device that allows you to reach the 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 edges of the of the 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 earth, you know, pretty much with your with your fingers, you may start wondering what's going on, and all of a sudden you're in an hour uh, worth of digital time where that's taking away from your sleep. Mm -hmm. And so I, I suggest actually keeping your phone away from your nightstand and either on, uh, you know, a, a way where you'd have to get up to go get it um, uh, so that it's not a, a, you know, a distraction and, and a potential uh, way of waking you up even more if you do uh, wake up in the middle of the night. There are other things that can be done as well. Um, certainly the discuss with your doctor, but there are a few many supplements that people can consider um, uh, that uh, some are beneficial uh, more to others or, or, or just dependent on, on their makeup. Uh, for me, for example, melatonin doesn't work for me, uh, but it works for many other people. I sometimes take some magnesium before going to bed 
And there's some other um, supplements, herbs, and uh, minerals that are oftentimes beneficial. Magnesium, potassium can be beneficial. And of course, ask your doctor and you may want to even check your levels of some of those to make sure that you're, uh, you're getting what you need. Um, but um, yeah, so there's just some of the things. I think schedule routine, having a, a, a restful environment is important. I think going to bed um, either angry or questioning what's going to be taking place the next day can certainly take away from sleep. And so trying to get away from any relationship things that are going on, either with your spouse, your kids, you know, nipping them before you go to sleep and or writing down a schedule for the next day, like your top three things that you're doing the next day, at least mm-hmm. takes that thought process that you don't have to be spinning uh, in your head, you know, at two o'clock in the morning, wondering if, you know, what you're going to do for the next day. So having a plan for the next day oftentimes helps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so it comes down to routine and plan and, and some tips and tricks around lighting and different things, but mm-hmm. really just get a plan in place and then start building that, mm-hmm. following the plan, making it a routine and even just your routine is, okay, it's eight o'clock. So I start the shutdown procedure at 8 PM at night or whatever, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm shutting the TV off at eight. I'm going to do whatever, read from eight to eight thirty, and then transition and just kind of have this shutdown routine. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I think, I think routine is so key. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you mentioned, um, you know, the device by the, 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 the mobile device on the nightstand. Um, and it <laughs> what came to mind for me was, yeah, that at, at, at night is great to keep it away. So we're not tempted. But, you know, what about what about all day long? Because you, you know, as you hmm. introduced when we first started talking and talked about, you know, what we um, what we nourish with, what we, mm-hmm. what we feed our body, what we feed our minds. And we, you know, and it ties back, I think, to the, to the stress and that, and that anxiety conversation we just had. Mm-hmm. What's, what effect does this 24 seven access to, uh, a handheld computer have on us? Glad you asked actually. And that it ties into cortisol. Actually, what's interesting is there is some data that every notification we get, whether it's a text or a phone call, or something that stimulates us to look at the phone. Actually, there's evidence that it slightly increases our cortisol, which is our alertness stress hormone system. So the point is, is that whenever you're hitting that, it also kicks off some dopamine as well, which keeps you kind of continuing to to hit it because it's like a pleasure, you know, chemical. I'm going to get to the bottom of it. I'm going to get this text and get this notification. But whenever you have chronic elevation kind of like what i was talking about with what's going on this past uh, year account uh, you know 12 months is it chronic elevation in cortisol that stress hormone process is not good for our bodies now it's okay it can be managed in like in a, like i said in an acute situation cortisol is there to try and increase our blood sugar so we have the energy to fight or flight but or flee, I guess I should say. But if you have that chronic elevation in blood sugar, what happens is that actually, if it's tied into other things like sedentary lifestyle, too much processed food and too much sugar, will overall increase body fat, increase insulin resistance and blood sugar, or blood sugar which results in insulin resistance. And then also it ties into you know poor anabolic hormone production in men, so their testosterone goes down, so their drive for life, their libido, and that ties into sleep because if men's testosterones are low, they oftentimes 
don't sleep as well. They don't have drive for for many parts of life. Um, that can also turn into feelings of depression, you know, and that's uh, oftentimes middle-aged men who are struggling with depression. One thing people oftentimes will check is their testosterone to see, you know, if that could be a potential cause of what's going on. But chronic elevation in cortisol will reduce that uh, because your body's basically saying, okay, again, it's going back to that fight or flight. The body's not trying to reproduce and doesn't need typically those, you know, hormones, you know, whenever it's trying to flee a situation or quickly get out of something. And so that chronic elevation of the cortisol is a, a definite issue. So with the, the consistent or, or persistent access to the phones and, and the digital devices, um, you know, it also leads to a component of distraction. And I've certainly found that in myself and a component of attention deficit. And there's some data out there to show that, you know, more use of digital devices can be associated with, you know, symptoms of attention deficit. And so, uh, you kind of think, okay, well, if I can moderate that somewhat, um, that's a benefit. So, you know, and and I've <laughs> I've certainly tried many different ways to to moderate that with with the phone. I do. Uh, I've got two emails, so I have one email that does come to my phone that I do check, mm-hmm. but I don't do any social media on my phone anymore. So I have a Facebook account that I do and check on a laptop or desktop. I will tell you with all the stuff going on. Uh, health-wise and, and, and all the, the nonsense with social media, uh, I think it's such a great tool for bringing people together and also keeping up with family and friends, but it's gotten very divisive, obviously, politically, and also has been censored to some extent. So that kind of, you know, makes me a little like, okay, well, well who's listening here? And, and you know, uh, um, if I'm exposing certain views, you know, is this going to be censored? It does make you kind of think about what you're talking about. Um, but I guess my point is, is that I've actually tried to, you know, moderate that social media um, uh, input um, and, and use regardless. But definitely keeping it off my handheld device, I think, is a benefit because uh, uh, it's just one less thing that's on the phone, um, you know. That's so interesting. So when I asked the question thinking about the, you know, it came from thinking about the news cycle, the 24 seven news cycle. And we're, you know, especially this year with, um, with COVID numbers, um, mm-hmm. being kind of just constantly, um, fed to us. And then, and, and then, uh, the, the election in the U S. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I was thinking of, but, um, you took it to a much greater level. Like even the notifications, like it could be, it could be just, Hey, you got a text message from your wife and she just, you know, if Nina sends me a text message and says, I love you, just that, that notification mm-hmm. that my phone beeps, mm-hmm. it, it leads to a little bit of a biochemical response. Yeah. 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 Which again, you know, some of it is very, uh, you know, doesn't have much of an effect, but if it's consistent and constant, I think that's where the downfall is. And, you know, in, in a sense that there's positives and negatives with everything, obviously so everything uh, in uh, uh, or, or many things in moderation, if you're done to excess, can obviously be destructive. But in moderation, they're beneficial. So yeah. I think it's trying to find what works for that individual to allow them to have you know a function during the day that's productive, whether it's school or service or vocation. But then you know not having too much to where they lose that. Uh, uh, you know, that charge for the day or mm-hmm. their call for the day, their specific call of where they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to be doing, you know, that day. So, mm-hmm. and with kids, that's uh, and even harder because they're, they're the, 
you know, social experiment 2.0, because the, the, we've gotten obviously younger and younger with kids having now 24 seven access to phones. And I think it's very important to keep the phones out of kids' rooms. And I think that's that I'm pretty hard and fast on that, that kids should not, uh, I don't want to preach to, you know, like I'm telling people they can't do something, but I think parents need to be aware of the phones in kids' rooms that could keep them up at night. And kids specifically need to have, you know, large amounts of sleep. You're talking oftentimes more than eight or nine hours if they're growing, you know, teenager and, 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 and young adult. And so uh, the thought process is if you have that phone in your room and those kids are less likely to, to be able to control it, you know, they may be on the phone at two to four o'clock at night. And I've talked to my nephews who are in their twenties now, and uh, you know, I've talked to them about their experiences. And it's kind of funny they they say that, or I've, I've one nephew in, in particular said that he would sometimes text and or do some social media stuff at night and not even remember he did it, but yet he's still kind of doing it, you know? So mm-hmm. that is that preventing them from getting good sleep and good recovery. And that's, uh, I think a question that, um, certainly there's some data to show that it does diminish, uh, those things. Yeah. So I appreciate the fact that you said you don't want to preach uh, on that, <laughs> but, but I will. Uh, yeah. So that, that I, you know, uh, our son is 14 and it's the, the phone is a constant, um, well, it's a constant, uh, point of stress for the, for the mm-hmm. family on, on what, what the limits are. And you know, mm-hmm. one of our, that's what the limits we said is it doesn't, uh, doesn't, it's not allowed in the room overnight. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and typically, if, if phones in a room, the door stays open. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the you know, there's been a few times when, for whatever reason, uh, the you know, we let the guard, we let our guard down, and and yeah, there's there's phone activity. You know, you look, if you look at history, it's mm-hmm. it goes till two in the morning. Um, it's now I'll say, and this is something, and this is for everybody to know. There are ways of getting on the phone and putting a setting control where you can shut the phone down at say 10 o'clock and put a passcode on it that only you know. Now, of course, I have heard from parents that kids can subvert that and either get their own little account and get around that to use the phone. But um, in my experience, I haven't had that yet unless I'm being completely played by my 14-year-old son. (laughs) But I will say that I, I monitor it pretty closely in the sense that and his phone on weeknights shuts down i think about 9 30 and mm-hmm. or 10 o'clock and you know um i've seen where he's tried to type in the passcode and of course this is you know i'm very open with with people about this and, and with my son um you know but it's one of those things that i think he's learning how to have the maturity to take care of it and it's it's that fine balance of okay well if you if, I, if i'm the the full custodian of the device then my son's never going to learn how to use it and learn his strengths and weaknesses sure. It's kind of a fine balance, and I guess I've kind of been told that you know, uh, raising a teenage boy, in my experience, I don't have a girl, but raising a teenage boy is like being a coach to that boy. You've got to encourage him and show him and give him the tools, uh, or or show him where to get the tools to um, allow him to grow into his his strengths, his passions. Uh, So less likely, or less of a you know dictator and or authoritarian, but more of a coach. And so I'm trying to have that pattern with him with the device. Hey, let's coach you through this. How, how can we be productive? How can you enjoy the benefits of the phone, you know, and, and interacting with your friends and what, what have you, but also not overdoing it, you know? So it's a day-to-day balancing act. 
a balancing act and, and yeah you, you mentioned it's a there's a fine line there and, and trying to yeah trying to trying to keep our children engaged with, with us and with the family mm-hmm. and teach them self-discipline mm-hmm. um and at the same time not allowing it to just the, the train to just run off the tracks mm-hmm. um yeah definitely yeah definitely a challenge yep yeah so, so uh tim i know that um you've got um kind of a new business well yeah yeah so can you tell us a little bit about what you're up to with your with your practice sure so i i'm a physician as as uh todd mentioned i'm a medical doctor i graduated from medical school university of south florida in 2002 um, I am a radiologist by uh, specific re- residency training, um, and so I do some diagnostic as well as interventional radiology. Uh, but for the past eight years, I've had uh, been taking slep- steps slowly towards a functional medicine practice uh, to allow for uh, me, me to provide um, uh, a practice of empowerment and uh, medical wellness consulting uh, to provide tools that may allow uh, patients to um, to strengthen themselves and provide more resilience in themselves towards whatever medical conditions they may be struggling with. Certainly, I have a, a passion for uh, some mood disorders and anxiety and stress because I've, I've had those challenges in the past and I've had to walk through many of those uh, learning uh, my own lessons and learning my own genetic history and how that plays a role into uh, how we how we perceive stress, our, our own genetic predisposition plays a role in that. Uh, birth order plays a role in that. Uh, what we're exposed to plays a role, whether it's toxins or you know air and water, all those things play a role. And then of course our diet. So what we're eating plays a huge role, and making sure we get enough of what we need. So talking about vitamins and minerals, are we getting it from our food? Do we need it from supplements? All those tie into you know potential issues with. Uh, performance and energy and mood and all that stuff. And all that plays a role into how we function in life. Uh, so um, have a specific also interest in empowering men to make better decisions with their life in order to potentially get them to optimize their productivity and their function within their family as well as with uh, with their community and or their vocation. Um, I think we're under somewhat of a um, an, an assault on our hormone system. And I think specifically of young men, you hear about some of the data coming out that even, um, you know, over the past hundred years, fertility, um, and, and sperm counts have significantly diminished as well as testosterone levels have diminished among men. So my testosterone is probably lower than what my dad's was at my age. And my dad's was probably lower than what his dad's was at his age. So the point being is that, you know, what is causing that? I think it's probably a combination, just like with anything, it's a combination of diet, environment, uh, lack of ability to, to get away from stress. You know, we've got, a, like you mentioned, the 24-7 news cycle, all of the global stress taking place with COVID. Uh, there's good evidence that a lot of this stuff stuff does diminish our testosterone production as, uh, as men. And there are natural ways to improve a man's testosterone and, and starts with lowering body fat, uh, lowering sugar, lowering alcohol, lifting heavy weights. And actually, you know, weight training is very important for testosterone as well as trying to key in on certain 
nutrients um, and dietary changes that can benefit a man plus sleep. Um, and so my passion with this kind of these the slow steps over the last eight, eight years towards this practice, uh, which is going to be termed or is termed health, truth, life. There were words that I felt come to me about eight years ago, and I really feel like it was a divine inspiration of, of just kind of an awakening of seeing the things that are happening in medicine. Uh, we do many things that are fantastic in medicine, but oftentimes the patients that are getting to us are at a point that they're somewhat past the point of no, no return. Mm -hmm. And from uh, in my experience, 20 years of being a physician, if I can ask three questions to a patient, I can get a good idea as to whether or not they're leading more towards health or more towards disease. And I want you to think of disease as being a state of dis-ease. So you're not in a state of ease. You're actually in a state of dis-ease. And disease is essentially a manifestation of that. But those questions are, what am I putting in my mouth? What am I allowing in my mind? And what do I do with my body? And those three questions are, are, are I think, paramount to uh, knowing whether or not someone is manifesting more health or more states of disease. Now, of course, there's genetic predispositions, there's accidents and, and traumas that happen that are outside of some of these questions. But with chronic health conditions, those three questions are very telling. And so this practice will be more on health empowerment, uh, medical wellness consulting, um, and, and yeah, we'll be um, within the Gulf Breeze, Florida area and looking for opening in that mid to late uh, 2021. So getting kind of my ducks in a row right now as a as a, a full-time radiologist doing that as well, but having this functional medicine education through uh, a few organizations has allowed me to um, uh, gain this other information as well as the experiences that I've had in medicine. Uh, so trying to utilize all those together within this uh, this functional medicine practice. Fantastic. Super excited yeah. to for that, uh, to have that in the area and just to yeah, and, and mm -hmm. just to, to watch the impact that you're going to have uh, with, with the community and with your with your patients in, in this empowerment in, in health and truth in life. Mm. Um, so my takeaways from from our, our visit, I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna work on that sleep number. Uh, I, I think you, I feel I feel that seven hours maybe isn't enough. So I'm gonna work on that. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to turn off notifications on my phone. Um, it's something I tried for a while and, and for whatever reason, I turned them back on. I'm going to, I'm going to get rid of my notifications and just check my phone at set times during the day. And that should allow me to, I'll just tell everybody that's what I'm doing. And then I don't have to respond immediately. You know, what's funny. Uh, Let me just interrupt just for one thing. It's actually really helped me. And this is my phone ringer broke about three months ago. So I no longer have the button is <laughs> shifted into no sound. So even calls that I get, I have to see them for me to pick them up. And actually, so I, so I know that if I'm at work and I got to have a phone call, I put the phone right in front of me so I'll see it. And I've not missed any big calls. But the point is, is that it's really been really nice to not hear the ding or the phone call. And uh, I've been able to work through that. So it's kind of interesting. Maybe just break your ringer, you know, just break the ringer. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, and then, and then these questions, I'm going to uh, probably write them down so I can, so I can think about it. What am, what am I, putting in my mouth, what am I putting in my mind, and what am I doing with my body? Mm -hmm. Cool. So for, for our listeners that want uh, to contact you, are, are you ready? Do you have contact information at this point? Is Not there a way yet. For uh, certainly um, there will be someone, and you can maybe pass that out in the future, but Health Truth Life, Gulf Breeze, Florida, Timothy Boyette, and we'll be uh, set in Gulf Breeze. And uh, um, 
Uh, I do have a Gmail right now, healthtruthlife at gmail.com. If anybody would like to inquire questions or even start potentially a waiting list for evaluation, uh, that would be a, a potential option as well. Uh, do not have a phone number set up yet. Uh, the website's being created as we speak and branding and such uh, going through that as uh, we're going through spring sports with the two boys and trying to live life as well as be a, a, a great radiologist and then uh, use my 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 time for calling that that specific purpose and passion. Uh, um, so I'm getting there and appreciate you, you know, cool. putting that out there. Well, as you get, as you get further along, we'll get it, we'll get it published here. Um, everybody, uh, well, first Tim, thank you so much for the gift of your time and your wisdom here today. Greatly appreciate it. Uh, to everybody listening, thank you so very much for tuning in. I am grateful for each and every one of you. I would just like to uh, to add whatever whatever you're dreaming of, whatever great big aspirations you have. Remember, you can. I believe in you. Peace. Well, thank you so much for listening. For even more on turning trials into triumphs and seeking and embracing success, go to toddhalls.life. That's toddhalls.life. Dot life, and I look forward to serving you. Until next time, be strong, be bold, be humble, stay healthy, stay hopeful. Peace to you.